0: Welcome to episode 292 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse.
1: And I'm Tony. And we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. World
0: hey, brother. Hey, brother. We're still hanging out in the covenants. What a great place to be. And on we this are. episode, we're yeah, going to get like to a, a little a... covenant of redemption.
1: Yeah, it's like a warm, like a warm jacket you put on on a cold day. You just kind of like hang out in there. It's cozy, feels good. Yep, you never want to take true. it off.
0: And when you put it on, you find twenty bucks that you left that's the true. last season that you didn't remember was in there.
1: It's true. That's like the best. That's like the best surprise when you put on a jacket from last year and you find like money, or like one time I bought like a. Uh, I went through this phase when I was in college where I wore like like um, blazers, but I was also poor, so I like would buy blazers at the thrift shop. And one time I bought a blazer for like, I don't know, like 20 bucks and I found $20 in the pocket and I was like, wow. And actually I found the $20 in the pocket before I bought the blazer and it was like (laughs) the man who sold everything he had to buy the Pearl of Great Price. I actually didn't want to buy the blazer, (laughs) but I felt guilty taking the $20 without purchasing the blazer. So I just purchased the blazer.
0: That's fair. That's pretty wild. That literally is the blazer of great price. Yeah, now that I think about
1: it, I probably could have left the blazer where it was and blessed someone else with the twenty dollars since it was just a wash for
0: me. It was even,
1: but it is what it is. But I got a blazer out of it for free. So
0: yeah, and these are the really wonderful musings that everybody has come to expect in our prologue. This is fantastic. It makes me wonder
1: what that chapter heading on snipped is going to be for this. (laughs) Hopefully, let's say the the phrase, and then I found twenty dollars a bunch of times and see. No, I'm not going to do that. But maybe we could get the. We could get the snipped chapter heading to be, and then I found $20.
0: That's like the quintessential way to end every story, right? They say either yeah. to use, it's the same thing as like somebody's thinking about Abraham Lincoln right now, or like every five yeah. seconds or whatever, to just end every story. And then I found 20 bucks. Yeah. So, or, in, and,
1: th- and then I punched him in the face. Both of those make your story thing? better. <laughs> yeah. Both of those make your story better if if your story is not going well.
0: You know, ironically, and I'll save this because we're about to transition into affirmations and denials, that and then I punch somebody in the face is actually going to weigh into my denial. But I'll save oh, that for now and kick it back to you. Let's go negative though first and let's deny against some things to start this episode. What are sure. you denying against?
1: So, I'm denying underrealized eschatology. So, I hmm. think we talk a lot about overrealized eschatology, especially in our kind of modern climate where we have this mixture of sort of like political triumphalism mixed with Christianity. That's happening in a lot of sectors of, uh, evangelicalism in the United States. That's an over, over realized eschatology. Theonomy is an over uh, realized eschatology. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of over-realized eschatology. We don't talk about under-realized eschatology all that much. So, of course, like, dispensationalism is an under-realized eschatology. But one thing that I think is more subtle, and I'm not thinking of anyone specifically. I heard I heard someone say this um, this week, and it made me think about this. Um, so I guess I am thinking of someone specifically, but not really. Um, sometimes we talk about, like, how we long to be with God. Like, we long for the time that we'll be in His presence, Right. And we don't really think about the fact that like, not only are we already in His presence, but like His presence is inside, is in us by His yes. Spirit. Right on. So it's absolutely true that there's like a con- a consummation coming that like we're we're going to see and experience experience God and God's presence in a more, in uh, a potent way. We're gonna we're gonna. It's subjectively experience it more but objectively we will never experience God's presence more than we already do like that's not even a possible category right so we' this is I mean this is I mean premill has it to some effect but like this is uh, a millennial theology especially is like that already not yet. God already indwells his people um, by the spirit as much as he ever will but that doesn't mean that there isn't a subject a subjective increasing of the experience of that but it's a difference of degrees not of kind like we experience right. the spirit now and we'll experience him in increasingly subjectively appropriated manner until ultimately the consummation happens and we experience him in the fullness that we can as creatures. So I'm just, I was just thinking about that and thinking like, how often do we kind of sell short the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit when we sort of long for this future experience that really already is ours in Christ.
0: That That's was like great. way more
1: serious than our, our denials usually are, but
0: no, I I like that a lot actually. And I was thinking about something similar recently because that seems to touch like a spider web. So many things it just moves out and fans out in so many directions. So I think about, to me that draws a tight connection to things like the second commandment and images of Jesus. Yeah. It draws to mind this idea. I've heard Christians well-intentioned pray things like, God, would you manifest your presence among us today? Yeah, And that seems like something like you don't need to ask God to do something he's already done. <laughs> like that's in fact, the power of God is the presence of God right. as well. So I like this idea that it's important to recognize that in kind it's very, it's all the same, yeah. but degrees are important. I think that's what they're after is this degree, but in I would say trying to emphasize the degree, they underemphasize the kind, that right. makes sense. So this is why I do have a strong conviction about like, the second commandment, because it just seems unnecessary. Like That manifest presence or that beatific vision, let's say, right. of God is reserved for another time when it will be magnified. But the kind that we have right now, in some ways, like the appreciation of the indwelling presence of God that we cannot see, but that we appropriate by faith is something for this time that God has given us to understand and to sink into deeply. So I'm totally with you on that. I actually think that is way mainstream. Wouldn't you say? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like, uh, like we, people talk about like how we long to see, like I long to be with Jesus. Like I can't wait to be in his presence. Um, right. like, you know, like I can only imagine yes, like, I was it's a mercy say me going on yes. I, and like the reality is what Jesus tells us is like, it's better that you're not in my presence because yes. if, if I hadn't gone to the father, if I'm not going to the father, this is John 14, if I'm not going to the father, then, um, then the Holy Spirit will not come. So again, I'm not trying to like hammer on any particular person. Like most people who say stuff like this, they're very well intentioned. They mean perfectly orthodox things. Absolutely. But I think like, you know, when we pray, you know, like I prayed to start the service this morning and I prayed something like, we we welcome you into this place. We we trust that you're present with us. And there's there is a reality that like God is present with His people in the gathered service among their praise in a special way. That's not true other parts of the week. For so sure. we have to have a balance because the language the Scripture uses this language. It's part of our you know it's part of our prayer life. It's part of the the hymnody of the church. The, the historic theology of the church. But I think if we're not careful, then we can sort of we can sort of take this like defeatist position of like our King is gone. Woe is me. I can't believe He left us all, all right. by ourselves where he specifically said in that John 14 passage that he's not leaving us as orphans. He's not just abandoning us to to sort of like suffer without him. He's he's giving us the spirit and it's good that he's giving us the spirit. It's even better that he's giving us the spirit than if he were to remain physically in our presence. So yes. that's I guess I don't know if I want to call it like an admonition or like an exhortation or whatever it is. I'm encouraging people this week to just think about that a little bit. Like we don't have to we should long for that increasing subjective experience of the Holy Spirit and the, the presence of God. But but not not necessarily in the way that I think we do, where we, we act as though practically God's not present at all.
0: Yes, exactly. And the thing about that is that I think it, what it can do is it can kind of like de- defeat us in a sense, like you're saying, but also can like just take all the power away that God has given us, in being imbued with his spirit is giving his spirit to reside in us. So for example, when people say things like, wouldn't it be great for Jesus to come and walk among us? And you want to be like, you have something better. Like you have the mind of Christ because you have the spirit of Christ and that Christ as truly God and truly man is now standing forever associated with humanity in the presence of the father Making intercession like this is the best way. You don't you you don't want him to be among you in that sense because he's crafted a better way. But it's when you pray like that, as you said, what I think is lovely about it is it draws to mind the promises that God has already established. So when we say things, of course, even like colloquial language like God, we invite you or God, would you come inhabit our praise? What we're basically saying is we know that you do. And we need to yeah. be reminded that you are strong and present in our gathered worship. And really, this is a matter of conforming our minds to that truth rather than somehow elevating your own presence so that we might see it. It's really, would you unblind us so that we might behold of it? I think what you're saying is right on. That's a strong encouragement. It's one that I try to, I'm trying to work on actually my own envisioning and coming in preparation for the Lord's day. Understand that this is like a special time and God is giving the call to worship. He's the one, even though it gets administered through the lips of people. But yeah. in so doing, his presence is incredibly real and it's incredibly potent and it is appropriate for our world, and it is according to the way in which he's decided to disclose himself and make himself known, and both transcendent and eminent with us. So it's one we should really be satisfied with that, but we should also like try to appreciate it all the more all the time. I love yeah. this denial. That yeah. that's on point. Yeah. Well, what about you? What are you denying? I'll pick up where you left off, and here's where the punching in the face comes in. And this is like a horrible joke <laughs> that I I didn't mean to make, and you you all. I mean, everybody who listens to us knows that like we do very little planning, especially when it comes to affirmation and denial. So this is all providential that it even came up this way. So my wife is a documentary polymath. She yes. is so amazingly well-versed in documentary. She loves to watch all kinds of topics. I really admire that about her. She can get interested in so many things, and she has such a keen interest. So this is not really a documentary, but I came into the room, and she was watching... I don't know if you've heard of this show... It's uh, a show that is David Letterman's like new show. It's on Netflix. It's called My Next Guest Needs No Introduction, where he does like a deep dive with a particular personality, celebrity, or some other person. A new season was just released, and this is unfortunate timing. But the person who is the fr- uh, the subject of the first episode was Will Smith, hence the <laughs> the punching. Now, this is like people maybe should be interested to watch this because it what's oh my god goodness like so unfortunately ironic is. Uh, David Letterman asks him, and this must have been edited presumably before all of the drama that took place, but David Letterman at one point asks him about his portrayal of Muhammad Ali and then asks him, they're out at a eating lunch together, asks him how he was trained to throw a punch and they get up and <laughs> they mock like a way to understand if somebody's about to hit you, which seems like amazingly ironic, but <laughs> that all takes place. Really the denying against comes in this way. I watched a portion of this because my wife was watching it. And I was just amazed at how strong adventures in Romans 1 persist, even though I shouldn't be. And I'm denying against the folly of seeking spiritual truth in the self. And this is so wild. It made me both upset and sad. At one point in the interview, toward the end, Will Smith describes so he went on a spiritual journey. And he gets to this point of spiritual journey because he says, I was competitive. I'd accomplished everything. And the physical world, the material world delivered nothing to me. I was empty in the inside. I think all of us are going like, amen, brother. Like, I, I understand that feeling. That is exactly what Solomon dictates to us. We know this to be true. It's everything that God describes to us in the scriptures. And we understand it by experience. And then he goes, so I decided I needed to go on a spiritual journey. And he went through this process of basically where he took some psycho hallucinogenic drugs and he went through this process of trying to discover himself. He was searching from within. And what he says is the ultimate combination of his own spiritual journey, which set him at ease was that he could lose everything and that he could handle it. In fact, he goes at great length of talking and you can watch this about one experience in particular where he was under the duress of these drugs and was experiencing some things and they were traumatic for him and the great calm that came to him was that he could be still and at peace while everything else within him was fighting and that the great benefit here and the outworking of this massive spiritual journey, the great realization was that he could handle anything. Somebody could die, he could lose all his money and he would just be all right. Man, what a sad outcome it is for that journey. That's not the top of the mountain. That's the foot of the mountain. That's the still yeah. place where it's like, I think that I can do everything on my own, that I'll be okay, that I'll just have to fight through it. I mean, that's like, it's not even anti-gospel. It's not gospel, which is the worst possible thing. It's neither for nor against. It's just complete emptiness still. And so it's just marveling at the fact that at the end of the day, he was a man who came to the right place, the emptiness of self, and then said, you know what I need to do? Go further into self to yeah. figure out how to find why myself is empty. So I'm just denying against this spirituality, which says where I need to turn is inwards to find truth.
1: Yeah. That's like that little, uh, little comic where it's like, somebody's like, just follow your heart. And then like the next one is this dark evil looking heart <laughs> and it just a sin. <laughs> like that's, that's like the story of, of this situation. And like, it's of course, it's very ironic that like they start off this segment with like discussions about how to throw a punch and, how to telegraph a punch I saw. i mean you've you've trained in martial arts uh, and i've done a little bit of martial arts right. that do you, you you saw the slap right the slap yes i did yeah that was a major telegraph slap chris walker For sure. totally should have been able to see that coming um but uh yeah it's it's ironic but it it really does just demonstrate like when you let your own passions kind of take over it really does destroy you so like his his journey of self actualization led to him slapping a, another guy on stage at, at the Oscars, which at this point appears to have utterly destroyed what was a pretty long and illustrious career. I mean, like, literally the night of the pinnacle of exactly. his acting career, he wins an Oscar for Best Actor right. in a a movie that I haven't seen but I've heard is very good. And on the very same night, like, his career tumbles out from underneath him. It's like he should just go – he should do, like, a dramatic reenactment of Ecclesiastes. He should play King Solomon in a dramatic reenactment of Ecclesiastes
0: rather than King Richard.
1: Yeah, I feel like it'd be cathartic for him.
0: <laughs> it might be. You know, there was so much about this that made you mourn because you're exactly yeah. right. People should watch it if only... Now, of course, I'm not condoning this show in particular because it is unedited, so you're going to hear yeah. some cussing, which is very unfortunate and unnecessary. What's fascinating to me, though, is... And I'm curious whether his worldview that he espouses in that moment is coming under severe test right now. Because he talks about how, because of that journey, that quote-unquote spiritual journey, he could lose everything and be fine. Yeah, I'm really curious if he still feels that way. Because he does seem to be a particularly insightful man. Now, insightfulness does nothing when it is constrained within the natural man. So I'm certainly not saying that just because he's gone through a hard time that somehow be able to see by the power of the spirit, you know, what's going on in his life. But I did cause me to pray for him because I thought he is a man just like anybody else. And I made some really horrible choices, but we're all prone to such choices apart from God. So it was just this weird experience, man. Like besides, it was almost like they edit it for the sake of this weird irony, which maybe they did. I doubt it, but maybe they did. But beyond that, all the things he was saying, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, you are undergoing this right now. Everything is yeah. being pulled away from you. Your life is in duress and you're in, under destruction. And I'm really curious to see if everything that you said is true would hold your feet firm if, in yeah. fact, that's actually doing it.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of surprised they aired it, to be honest with you, especially on Netflix, where it's so easy for them to like pull something out of the rotation or on, <laughs> on any streaming platform. I don't know that it's Netflix, but it's so easy for them to like pull an episode out of the rotation, just renumber everything. I'm surprised with all of the heat that he's been taking, especially with a segment about like about punching someone. I'm surprised they aired it at all. Maybe they did it for ironic purposes,
0: but it's possible. My wife tells me that I missed the beginning and she said there was of course, a disclaimer at the beginning, noting the strangeness or the asynchronous timing of these events, but it's worth watching. If only to see again, to be reminded, you know, and this is a good reminder for all of us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust but this immense struggle that comes from the inside to find satisfaction, yeah. I think we sometimes think that people are far more happier than they actually are, and that somehow if they've accomplished something, whether that be wealth, power, prestige, that they're better off than the Christian who might be struggling with pain or is you know, going through deep and dark valleys, but is connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, that somehow that is less than somebody who has everything that they want. And it seems to me that that person who has everything they want is in a severe hell. And yeah. that really this, this kind of interview just draws that to light. You think man alive, if there's ever any reason for Will Smith to be happy, it'd be because he's Will Smith. And it seemed that he, he really wasn't. So anyway, yeah. it's uh, again, I don't condone it per se and certainly not run children, but you might want to check out my next guest needs no introduction with this interview with David Letterman, it certainly will give you a lot to think about. So let's make it a little bit more positive now. What are you affirming with? So
1: this is a short one um, and I'm kind of stealing. I like to give credit where it's due. I'm, this is like basically me stealing an affirmation from the 10 minute Bible hour. Cause he recommended oh, nice. this and it was a really good recommendation. So there's an, a news, um, a news e-letter or newsletter subscription service, but you, it's free called the pour over. And basically what it is, is it's a a brief, usually five to eight minute read email um, that comes out to you Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And it's kind of like, um, uh, it's not neutral because nothing's neutral, but it's closer to neutral takes on the news. Um, And then, um, you know, in between each news article like there's little snippets of news articles of the major headlines for the day they include some sort of spiritual thought or a bible verse or something that's applicable to this particular event so like if they're reporting on the war in ukraine a lot of times there's a verse about like peace and like um about how god protects the brokenhearted or you know fights for widows and orphans whatever it might be um there's also a podcast version which is the exact same content but you get it delivered to your ear holes instead of to your eye holes, and um, I don't know. It's just nice because I, you know, like you get some of these news sources. It's really hard to find a news source um, that isn't super ultra partisan, um, right. and not, not that I mean partisanship is just a fact of reality. There is no neutral, and like one. A lot of times like one perspective is just wrong and the other perspective is right. So it's okay to have partisanship, but this is a much more like even handed approach to it. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say that I'm going to agree with everything theologically Do It's very vanilla, general evangelical kinds of thoughts. It's very surface level theological reflections, um, which also means there's probably not going to be much that's terribly offensive going on right. in uh, in there, but it, it's nice to sort of have that more even keel spiritually oriented and Christian spiritually oriented approach to the news versus some of the other kinds of like news aggregates that you might find, or even something like the briefing, which is great, but it's, you know, it's long and it's, it's sort of technical. And and Albert Moeller is, I'm pretty sure he's like an AI robot that just every Bit of news comes into his algorithm and he spits out amazing commentary. But um, <laughs> that's true. But yeah, check it out. You can get it out. Just go to the port. Just search search the pour over on um, iTunes or whatever you get podcasts. You should find it. Um, and like I said, it comes out three times a week. They're usually five to eight minutes long, so it's not a super long um, super long thing. Uh, they do have some advertisements, but they're I mean they're worth listening to. The advertisements are for services that are not offensive to Christians, so you're not going to be hearing you know you're not going to be propagating. Uh, sinful things and sinful services and things like that. So check it out. It's called The Pour Over. I really appreciate it. I like it.
0: Here's one of the reasons why this is a great affirmation, because we've talked on this podcast a lot about how important it is to read broadly and to get lots of different sources, not just to avoid things like confirmation bias, but also just because there are a lot of great things to read. So if you're the kind of person that does enjoy news, then I think this is a great thing to like add into your no pun intended, arsenal, so that you have something else. <laughs> a different, slightly different perspective, but yeah. again, also just another way to conceive of things. I also like, too, that this group, I don't know who puts this together, they have kind of a, a nice uh, frame of reference in their humor as well, so yeah. I'm looking at their why we select these stories, and they say, quote, in general, Christian news sources write three types of stories, spiritually significant events, parenthetically, missions, abortion, et cetera, two, long-form commentary on major world events, usually days after they've happened, or three, Christian current events, what Lecrae is up to. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's a little bit here that's like inside baseball. You know, it's kind of intramural. It's kind of poking yeah. fun at Christian news sites generally. And they, they conclude by saying, we don't do this. So I think it's fun and to acknowledge that there is a kind of a, a certain style that Christians tend to undertake when they report things. And this is decidedly not that. So I like this. This is a great way to kind of get a little bit news in a different perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What are you affirming?
0: I like yours because it's like upbeat, right? It's like taking something and kind of redeeming it in a way and bringing a little bit of joy to people. So, you know, of course, again, we didn't plan this, but mine is just like that. So nice. this is a little bit meta. So stick with me just for a second because it's like nested affirmations to get to like the bottom line. But I'm affirming with a particular YouTube channel that I've just discovered and something that this gentleman does in his YouTube channel. So let me start with the gentleman's name is Frank Tedesco. T-E-D-E-S-C-O. And he is a composer, a pianist, and a YouTuber. Now, I will say, I want to be careful with the affirmation here. If you go to his YouTube channel, which you really should, you're going to find that because he's going to be interacting with people often, that there is sometimes some cursing on there. Generally, they're very good about editing that out or bleeping it out. But here's why I'm still recommending it, even with that in the mix there. What Frank Tedesco does in particular is I love on his YouTube channel, he would do this thing. Where he'll go to a which is like a some kind of, and I don't know much about social media, but it's, it's a social media connection where like you get paired randomly on a video call with other people all over the world. that are using that app. And what he does, he sits in front of his piano and when he gets connected with somebody, he offers to play them any song that they request any song. And if he doesn't know the song, what he'll do is he'll in real time, pull it up on his phone and he'll listen to it. And then he'll do a piano version of that song. And this wow. is why it's so uplifting is you will find people time and time again, who are so moved by his ability to play the music that they've requested. That it reminds me of how God has given us music, which is noise by design to minister to us. And here are people that literally are moved to tears because they request a song or sometimes they say a song in jest. For instance, I watched a video and this was amazing where it was a group of people He comes onto the feed. He says, hey, I'm playing music. What do you want to hear? And this guy says, play Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, but the second movement. And (laughs) Frank moves the microphone aside and rips the second movement. I'm not sure if people are familiar with the second movement, but it's much faster and it's lesser known. And the people are in awe. So he's just a great and very talented composer and pianist. But the joy that he brings to people who are interacting in probably a way that normally speaking, is probably filled with vitriol and just nonsense and lots of, I don't know, just arguments when they get to him and they see here's a guy who wants to play for them. And then he plays a song that they ask for. The way that they are moved and ministered to is remarkable. So I'm affirming with Frank Tedesco's channel on YouTube and particularly this exercise where he goes on Omegle and he finds random people and he plays music they want to hear. It's worth watching. I think people will enjoy it. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that sounds it sounds like
1: a feel good, like like when I have five minutes between phone calls yes. or kind of an activity.
0: Yes, it's there have been times when I've actually been moved. Like I'm embarrassed to say, like somebody gets choked up over something that he's playing for them, and they'll say something like, I was having a horrific day, and this totally changed how I yeah. feel right now. And again, I see this as just a reminder of the blessing music is to us. And that we ought to use that embrace, lean into the music that God has given us as a tool, not to bring like emotionalism, but to really minister to deep needs where, again, these people were looking for interaction. And maybe some of them were hungry for interaction, which is why they ended up on this weird social network of random pairing of video conference and calls. And to have somebody say to them, I hear you, what would you like to hear right now? And to play that, of course, like you'll be amazed at how well he plays because he is a fantastic musician. He clearly has like perfect pitch so he can hear music and he can play it. So it's worth watching it just by that way. But um, yeah, I think it's the kind of thing that you'll leave or you'll rise from your chair with a little bit of more hope. So it's worth it. Check it out.
1: I'll have to check that out. I'm going to do that as soon as this is done.
0: All right. You'll love it. I promise I'll wait until we're done recording the episode. That's fair. I like how you and I, when we give, like, good... So people should know, we hardly ever... We small exception, like speak about the affirmations and nails before we get on, because it's more fun that way too. Like we're experiencing it for the first time. We have this tendency, as people know, to like check out each other's (laughs) affirmations and nails in like real time and then lose our place and get all excited. So we're just as much beneficiaries of this as hopefully everybody else is. But it is really time to get to the heart of the matter, which is the covenant of redemption. And we did like a lot of hinting or previewing last week. And I think that was good because... In general evangelicalism, we need like a, a term now to like encompass that entire statement, like lukewarm, modern, evangelical, postmodern, whatever it is. Like we need like a, some kind of word that encompasses all that stuff. But in that realm, I think we hear a lot about the covenant of grace or like, let's say if we don't know it by that name. In a gospel presentation, we hear a lot about the covenant of grace, some about the covenant of works, but I think we actually hear very little about the covenant of redemption. And we also hear much about like the saving work of Christ, but we give little thought to the fact that the triune God conceived the work that the second person of the Trinity would do that would save sinners. And this is just so important. It's so empowering to us. It informs, I think, really the Christian life. And yet it's one of those things we just don't hear much about. And hence, here we are coming back to it again. We've talked about this before. But we're coming back to it again because, like lasagna, the covenant of redemption is always better the second time around. So it's true. It's time to talk about redemption. Yes.
1: And it's also a multi layered delight, just like lasagna. Oh, well done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before we move into that, though, I do want to take a quick second. So this episode is sponsored by Logos Bible Software. And, um, you know, we've been very excited about this uh, discount you can get on the fundamentals package. Which uh, people are taking advantage of, and I'm hearing great things. People are excited to get this amazing resource. Um, but w- I wanted to talk a little bit about the search functionality. We've talked about this in the past, but there was a real life example that happened during church this morning. So your father is my pastor, and he he often um, shares quotes uh, while he's preaching. And as much as I would love to be able to like catch the quotes verbatim, um, I'm often not able to just capture that information quick enough. Um, and I'm trying, you know, I try hard during the sermon not to get distracted by trying to find data and like capture it. Like that kind of defeats the purpose. And so he, and this is qualified. He he qualified himself during the sermon saying he's not a huge fan of Karl Barth, but he quoted Karl Barth. Um, and the quote that he said was the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ are two distinct, but inseparable moments in one and the same event. So we, we were talking about the ascension of Christ and how it, um, how it impacted the disciples and how it impacts us. So I caught enough of what that is, uh, and I knew who the quote was from. I was able to type into Lagos Bible Software, Resurrection Near, capital near, the word near, Resurrection, capital N-E-A-R, Ascension, capital W-I-T-H-I-N, so within 10 words, so within capitalized words, capitalized, and then moment, and it pulled it right up. It searched my whole library. It found uh, where the word resurrection and ascension appeared near each other and where that combination of words appearing near each other also appeared within 10, wor- 10 words of the word moment or, or variations, momentous, things like that. So if you if you hear part of a quote, you don't even have to get it in the right order. You can say to Lagos, all right, this is basically how the quote works. I know that this word is kind of close to this word and I know like this one is, is close, but it's not as close. It's within a certain number of words. Um, you know, you can do the standard kind of like put everything in quotation marks and you get an exact, you know, an exact search, or you just search for a set of words gives you a fuzzy search, but you can really drill down into like, you know, you heard a given word, or you know, you heard certain words and they were close to each other. And that way you're not finding like, you know, words that are 20 words apart from each other and really are not in the same arena, the same ballpark, you're really able to use that. And I think it's a super powerful way to do searching because how often are we driving? You know, this is a podcast. I'm probably going to quote something uh, from an author today. And if you're driving, I certainly hope you're not, you know, trying to find a notebook and write down what I'm quoting. But if you were to have Logos Bible software and you were to have this, um, this, uh, book in your library, then you could very easily just kind of type a real quick string once you learn how to use it and find that resource. So you can, uh, you can do the fundamentals package. You can go to reformbrotherhood.com slash Logos May 2022, and you'll uh, be able to pick up the fundamentals package, which has all this search functionality. You're going to get a, a full set of uh, resources plus five free books. Um, or... You can go to reformbrotherhood.com slash Logos and you can uh, purchase a higher level base package if you have a need and you um, are so inclined. And uh, it's really just a great tool. It really helps you find stuff. It helps enhance your sermons. Um, if you're a pastor, it helps enhance your sermons because you can find quotes to use. You can do research faster. If you're listening to sermons, which all of us are, it helps enhance that because you can capture the information quicker. You can take all your notes right in Logos if you want. Um, it really is a phenomenal resource. So check it out. reformbrotherhoodcom slash Logos is the best way to go to get, uh, you get a 15% base package discount plus five free books ever you're choosing.
0: That's a deep cut right now. Now we're yeah. into like all the nuances of how you can write specific queries for Logos, which again, I like your point because if you're into that and who doesn't want to find stuff, I know the search function is more than just like I type in a word and I can find something. And it I, maybe some people are feeling like, well, that sounds overwhelming. It's really not that bad. There's right. a couple of keywords that you can use to find all yeah. kinds of stuff. So it really is exceptional. And now can we finally talk about the covenant of works? Let's I mean, not do covenant of works, covenant of redemption. Well, we're probably going to talk about the covenant of <laughs> works a little bit too, but covenant yeah, of redemption. Yeah, that's true. For some reason, yeah. I mean, logos is by works, but faith is by grace or that's grace. It's true. Is, yeah, It's is by faith through grace. So anyway, let's let's do it. Let's get after it. Yeah. So the covenant of redemption is one of those
1: doctrines, as we kind of alluded to before I short-circuited our conversation with the Logos bit. Um, the covenant of redemption is one of those doctrines that underlies most of the theology that we're familiar about hearing with almost all christian theology of every flavor has some sort of idea that Adam had some sort of task in front of him and that in failing that task, there was consequences for him and, and for all of his posterity. Um, and, and that we can't, we can't merit our own salvation. Even Roman Catholics would say apart from grace and apart from Christ, although they define grace in a particular way that we would disagree with strongly, but even Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox would say apart from God's, gracious involvement in salvation we because of what adam did we can't merit our own salvation there's nothing we can possibly do to bring about our own salvation and then and then on top of that, there's always a, an understanding that in Christ, something has been accomplished that either accomplishes or enables salvation to occur. So we, just big, broad contours, you've got the covenant of works, covenant of grace, not always framed covenantally, but those same categories apply across the board. What's usually missing, in my opinion, is this understanding. And I think it's because the, a lot of these other theologies don't have a strong doctrine of predestination, even if they acknowledge that God is electing and something, there's not a strong, well-thought-out doctrine of this. They're missing this idea that all of that, the fall, the covenant of works, and the breaking of the covenant of works, the establishment of the covenant of grace, and the fulfillment of the covenant of grace, all of that actually started in eternity past in the internal counsel and, and internal workings of God, and that all of those things flow out of this we're going to we're going to parse this out so we'll leave it we'll leave it at sort of surface level analogous language here sort of flow out of this conversation and agreement that's happening in the trinity attorney past there's an agreement that the trinity uh, the persons of the trinity make with each other that there will be a people that god the the persons of the trinity will will call and unite to themselves and that there'll be a particular way that that happens. And that that agreement, and we'll talk about some of the permutations of how that's phrased and why it's phrased that way, that agreement is what we call the Trinity of Redemption or the, the Covenant of Redemption. So just like you might have something, uh, you might have all the pieces of the Covenant of Works, but not want to call it the Covenant of Works, like John Murray. Uh, you might have all the pieces of the Covenant of Grace, and you might call it something else, like Old Palmer Robertson. There are people who have all of the components of the Covenant of Redemption, but they, for one reason or another, don't really call it the covenant of redemption, or they, they hesitate at that term. So we're just talking about a theology that affirms that the the plan of salvation is grounded in and comes out of an internal discussion or an internal dialogue and agreement between the persons of the Trinity.
0: So we'll, we'll parse all that out here in,
1: in, in a little bit more detail here as we go.
0: Right. That's the important thing is that we're talking about those essential elements that are embedded, I think, in a lot of people's different theological expression of what it means that God has saved people for himself. And where did that process essentially begin in so much as we understand it in kind of a temporal sense? So I see for me, like there's a lot, there's this major bridge, the way I like to think about it, between like what we talked about in the covenant of creation, the covenant of redemption. So whereas like the covenant of creation dealt with man in his innocent condition, the covenant of redemption deals with man in his fallen condition. And whereas, like the covenant of creation, obedience is acquired of men. I'm going to cough. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Live that podcasting, was no nets.
0: Yeah, see, that was that was right there. I was trying so hard to get through that sentence, and I was like, literally, like my upper lip was getting sweaty underneath my <laughs> stash. I was like, I am trying so hard to make it through this. I'm sorry about that, everyone. So it's okay. Where I was back to the covenant of creation, like whereas the covenant of creation obedience is required of man in the garden in the covenant redemption, Christ provides the obedience, which man is lacking. And just like in the covenant of creation, man broke the covenant by rebelling against God, something that you said in the covenant redemption, Christ is the covenant keeper. So to me, like on the one hand, we can say that there is in a sense, like the covenant of creation came to an end with the fall in that man is now a sinner and he never stands in the place that Adam stood. But like on the other hand, there is a continuity as the covenant redemption seeks to bring about a return to conditions as they were prior to the fall. So this is what makes this theology like a necessary component of everything we're talking about. I think it often gets like smuggled in maybe by a different name or no name altogether, but it really needs to be drawn out because just like we were talking about earlier with this idea of like understanding the presence of God in our lives, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, this is the same way. I think we can rob ourselves of legitimate power, presence, and connection to God, understanding His great work, when we kind of disassociate it from like His actual plan before time began, that He was making an agreement among Himself, so to speak. Right. And that that really is everything that informs all that follows. If we don't acknowledge that, I think some might might quibble with this and say like, well, how necessary is it? It's it's essential, I think, to, to acknowledge that. We really have to. But most people just acknowledge it, kind of derivatively or by secondhand. And yeah. we're kind of saying in this episode, let's get after it firsthand.
1: Yeah. So I want to read a little bit out of a book that was very influential for me um, as I started to unpack this. And I was reading this, um, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit here. So just like the Covenant of Grace episode and the Covenant of Works episode, we've done an episode relatively recently on the Covenant of Redemption. So we're going to try to step past sort of the the basic statement of the doctrine, which is what we did in the last episode, the last covenant of redemption episode, and try to maybe bring this up to a little bit more of a technical level. So the covenant of redemption is a doctrine that, is a lot of times used by um, by proponents of eternal functional subordination. And I think if you think about the doctrine a little bit, it's understandable why. And I actually had this conversation with a couple dear brothers the other day that the, the covenant of redemption is probably the only theological, I don't know, bit of data that the EFS folks latch onto that actually should give us a little bit of consideration, a little bit of pause. Ultimately, it's it's misused when they they pull this in, but I was reading um, the book called "The Trinity and the Covenant of Redemption," which is a, a book by J.V. Fesco. It's published by Mentor Press. Um, it's a relatively short book. Um, it's it comes in at around 400 pages, um, but it's really large print and spacing, so it's probably more like a 300-page book in terms of how long it actually takes to read. And this gets into a lot of these issues. And so he also has one on the Covenant of Works that is already out, um, and I believe he's writing one on the Covenant of Grace. He's writing kind of a trilogy. But I want to read, I'm actually going to read a pretty lengthy portion of this, and I'll come back to some of some of it here. But he, um, and I'm going to skip around a little bit. So this is on the the bottom of page 15. It's under a heading called Chief Formulations, Theology Proper or Christology? Question mark. And he says, quote, there are two major formulations of the Covenant of Redemption, the Christological model and the Trinitarian model. Historical analysis reveals that a majority of proponents of the doctrine adhere to a Christological model, right? So that's that's the first big point: is that although there are these two competing models, um, it's important to recognize that the majority report in Reformed theology is the Christological model, um, and so the Christological model basically is that God, kind of um, God considered almost hypostatically, almost like God, irrespective of the persons of the Trinity, so the Father, Son, and the Spirit together as one God are entering into a covenant with Christ as mediator. So it's this gets a little bit weird because you have the son, in a certain sense, entering into covenant with himself. Um, so th- that we have to kind of uh, realize that the lines on that are a little fuzzy. But this is where I think it's Im- important. He goes into a couple details about why this model is dominant. And he's, he goes through... Um, three different things specifically. The first one is that um, the scriptural data that we have about the covenant redemption seems not to be involving the spirit at all. So we got like Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, and then he says statement of the covenant. There's all sorts of, you know, in, in in Luke, Christ says, I covenant to you, the kingdom that my father covenanted to me. Right. So there's all this language that seems to be between the father and the son, not necessarily between God considered uh, as a triunity and the mediator. Um, Second, he says, proponents argue that the pactum salutis addresses the very specific issue, the son's appointment as covenant surety. So, what that's saying is that the, the covenant of redemption, the pactum salutis, is an agreement that's about Christ's role in the economy of salvation, specifically about the son's role as surety in the covenant of grace. And then third... As mediator and surety, the father appoints the son as the head of the elect. So, so the argument here is that the Christological model is strong because it's relying closely to the biblical data, which seems to seems to root this as a conversation or an interaction between the father and the son. That the the content of the covenant seems to only really be um, applicable to Christ's role as the surety, not not necessarily the Spirit's role as a comforter or whatever we might want to want to say there. Um, and then thirdly, that it also as the surety, it has specific things that it gives to Christ as tasks to do. Um but what I think is interesting that we miss is that the reason that this Christological model doesn't run into the, the problems that I feel like some of our listeners are going, hold on a second, what 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 about the spirit? is because this Christological model is actually taking the covenant of redemption and the what's called what the, the classic language is the council of peace, the the Dei, right? The council of God. It's taking those two concepts and sort of separating them out. So there's the the council of God, which is still this Trinitarian council, that the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption is sort of formulated within the council of God. And then it's separating that out from the actual agreement between God and the Son or God and Christ, God and the mediator, to then execute that plan. Right. Last week, when we talked about this, we kind of parsed that out as like, well, there's the there's the planning, which is the covenant of redemption, and there's the execution, which is the covenant of grace, and that's one way to sort of handle this. The other model is um, what you call a Trinitarian model, and it's saying that this essentially is saying the Council of Peace and the Council of Redemption, the uh, the the um, covenant of redemption, are one and the same thing, and so it's an intra-Trinitarian. Dialogue, engagement, covenant, agreement, whatever we want to call it. It's an intra that movement that uh, is happening where the, uh, the Christological model is that there is an intra-Trinitarian movement that's not properly speaking an element of the covenant, but the covenant is an extra-Trinitarian movement from the Trinity to the Son. And as I said, I favor—I'm starting to favor that Christological model because I think it makes a lot more sense of things. And we'll, we'll get into the the EFS element of it later, but that really plays into why this is important. So I, I wanted to start out with that because I want people to see. On the first level, look at this. It sounds like a really simple proposition, right? The the persons of the Trinity agree to accomplish salvation. That's the covenant of redemption. And on like as far as it goes, right, as, as far as it is stated, that's an accurate way to describe the, the covenant of redemption. But when we start to dig into it, just like you dig into a really good meaty lasagna, you start to dig into it and there's just more and more layers and more layers and more layers. And you have to really peel those back and understand them if you're not going to get tripped up in some of these frankly, like Trinitarian challenges and problems that if you're not ready for, they actually can be really
0: affronting to your
1: theological sensibilities.
0: Right. That's fair. I mean, it's one of those things where you can appreciate the lasagna. It's helpful to have more conception right. of what you're eating, and that can be in understanding some of these layers. By the way, if people want to read that, and they should, just go to Zechariah 6, which is, I think, what you're referencing, the yep. Council of Peace. And we have to contend with and understand The fact that in this, basically people are trust what we're saying and what they should because it's biblical, this idea that God is making this covenant with himself, so to speak that there's going to be language in the scriptures, could be data that helps us try to understand or at least see this unfolding or this establishment of this covenant. And then we have to ask, well, what does that mean? Is there a difference between the, the planning and the execution of that? You know, And again, what you read in Zechariah 6.13, this Council of Peace is made between both, and it's referencing the Father and the Son, right. the man whose name is the branch and God the Father. So all of this is ple- present. It's all plain to see. So the question is, how do we fold it into a proper biblical understanding of what's actually taking place here right. and not get caught up in some kind of weirdness that might result in at best like radical tendencies and at worst like a, a massive or grievous error because we see throughout the scriptures, whether it's there in Zechariah or whether it's in John, that Jesus himself is always speaking about the father giving him people and that that is is implying very clearly that that gift or that establishment of the people has been from a time that is far beyond what we're talking about then when he's giving that, that proclamation. So from all eternity past, God, the father determined to create a people of whom he would save some and he's giving them to the son. This all seems like really planned. What does it mean to plan? And then what does it mean to give? And then who is executing all those things? It is worth understanding.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so as I said, I think you can you can have a surface-level understanding of this and do just fine, right? You, you don't have to dig For sure. all the way through the layers. But as you start to interact with more and more Reformed theology, and you start to butt up against other views that are not Orthodox, and they're not— um, they're not acceptable. Things like EFS, things like some of the social trinitarianism that we're seeing out of people like James White, um, and and the, the EFS advocates as a whole. Not that I don't think James White is an EFS advocate. I don't think he's gone that far yet, but he's he's sort of starting to. I don't know, drift that way, Tokyo Drift style. Um, I don't know why Tokyo I just implied drift that theology. Japanese people are are Trinitarian. <laughs> Tokyo oh Drift gosh. Theology. That'd be a pretty sweet name for a podcast, actually. <laughs> it, is,
0: it is pretty good, yeah.
1: I, I hereby trademark Tokyo Drift Theology <laughs> as a podcast name. All rights reserved. Um, <laughs> but that's why I think it's important to go beyond these. When you're starting to understand this doctrine, it's important to go beyond this. So I think I've shared before that like when I was first learning about the Trinity on a more technical level. There was actually a point where I was defending EFS theology because I I was saying like, well, you know, I don't agree with it, but um, it's true there are three persons that have one one nature right. and or the same kind of nature and and so the the one is submissive to the other and that that doesn't mean that his nature is different than the other it just means he's choosing to submit. Well, if you hear what I did just just there, I said there right. are three persons who have the same kind of nature, right? So so right there you're already off base. So it's important with the covenant of redemption to understand if you're going to be interacting with that stuff at all, which to be frank, like we all are going to be if you're online at all in any reform Facebook group. EFS is going to confront you at some point. It's important for us to understand how this, what very much looks like at first glance, it looks like three persons with three wills making an agreement amongst themselves, right? I will just acknowledge that up front. The covenant of redemption, if you're thinking of it in an analytical sense rather than an analogical sense... Thinking of it in that when we speak about God and having these intra-Trinitarian dialogues, intra-Trinitarian agreements, if we're thinking about that in the sense that that dialogue and agreement is happening in the same way, in the same sense as a dialogue between Jesse and I is happening, then yeah, you've got three gods. You've got three wills, three persons, three distinct, discrete, separate natures in some sort of interaction with each other. And you've got social Trinitarianism, right? They're united by a common purpose, not by a common nature. The covenant right. redemption does not function that way. Partially, I think that's why it's important for us to hold the Christological model. That's why I think this is strong, and I'll, I'll explain exactly why in a minute here. But also, just because the way that this theology was actually originally f- like formulated was directly in response to that same kind of error. So there are two things that I say about the EFS advocates that drives them absolutely bonkers. Um, I call them neo, neo-Aryans, neo and I can defend that. I, I can explain exactly why and justify that. I also call them neo-Sassinians. Uh, and the reason for that is because the Sassinian movement in the Reformation was this radical uh solo scriptura, nuda scriptura, the Bible is not just the supreme source of authority and, and doctrine, uh, but it's the only place that I can go to formulate any sort of thought about God, which is right. not at all what the reformers had in mind with the idea of solo scriptura, right? All of them were coming out of attrition. They all wrote creeds and confessions that they considered to be binding for their congregations and their context. Sure. right? The the Sassanians rejected all of that. And in rejecting all of that, they renegotiated every doctrine, not just the ones that were in dispute between the the Papists and the Reformers, but every doctrine, including the, including the doctrine of the Trinity. And so I want to read—this um, is um, the very next section, actually. It's almost like John Fesco was writing this to help address the EFS error, but I actually think this came out first. The next section is about— Um, about these features, these implications for the doctrine um, of this sort of seeming plurality of will. And he writes, uh, quote, as common, and this is page 19, quote, as common as these criticisms were might be, that criticism being um, that this entails a plurality of wills, as common as these criticisms might be, advocates of the pactum were keen on preserving the integrity of the doctrine of the Trinity. Important to note is that most of the advocates of the pactum labored in the looming shadow of Sicilian anti-Trinitarianism. It seems that if advocates of the Pactum had somehow damaged the doctrine of the Trinity, then Sicinian theologians would have exploited this weakness to their own advantage. Nevertheless, Pactum advocates were aware of the need to explain both the unity of God's will and to preserve the distinct work of the individual persons within the Godhead. And so he goes on to quote Owen, uh, John Owen. He says, The will of God as to the peculiar actings of the Father in this matter is the will of the Father, and the will of God with regard to the particular, uh, peculiar actings of the Son is the will of the Son. Not by distinction of sundry wills, but by the distinct application of that same will unto its distinct acts in the persons of the Father and the Son. In other words, the triune God determines to save the elect, all three members of the Trinity share this will, but each member of the Godhead rena- relates uniquely to it. Thus, Father sends the Son, and the Son willingly goes. The Son dies on the cross. The Father does not die on the cross. He goes on to sort of share some examples. And now this may seem a lot like what Wayne Grudem is saying or what Bruce Ware is saying. It's not the same at all. So what, right. what Bruce Ware and Wayne Grudem are struggling to try to say Uh, or struggling trying to not to say, is that there are more than one will in the Trinity. But you can read in their works ways that they subtly and not so subtly actually say there are more than one will in the Trinity. What Owen is saying, and what the Orthodox are saying, which Anfesco is saying, is that each person of the Trinity wills the divine will, but they will that divine will as the person of the Trinity that they are. So the Father wills the one will, or the Father's will is the one will, but it's the Father's one will. And the son is that same, the son's will is that very same one will, but it's the son who has that will, or more probably is that will. So just as the son, the father is the totality of the divine nature in a particular way that is the father and uh, relation to the son, so also the son is the totality of the divine nature, blah, 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 same thing. That, the same thing applies to the will. So right. the, the will of God is that the father sends the son into the world. The father and the son both will that the father sends the son into the world. It's not the father willing one thing of sending the son and the son willing another thing of being sent. It's a single common will that the father wills or the father sends the son into the world. So we have to sort of understand and appropriate that because you're going to hear people point to the covenant of redemption and say, see, there's multiple wills. How could two people agree on something if they don't have separate wills? Well, we just explained how that functions. Um, so it's, it, it, this is such a great book. I mean, I, I can't recommend it enough. I wish I was getting some sort of kickback on it. I'm not. Um, it's such a great book. It's so clearly written and it's so good and technical. Just, I mean, John Fesco's phenomenal, all this stuff. Um, you really should pick it up if this is something that interests you.
0: Yeah, that's right on. I mean, th- that's a good litmus test is will, isn't it? We're talking about, will. you hear multiple wills. Your yep. alarm bells should be ringing right away. It should be danger. Pull up, get out. Yeah. Parachute. That I think that's one of the things that people should take away. Is that we're talking about this when we're talking about the covenant redemption. We're not talking about multiple wills here, people. Right. That is your warning sign to get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe we can put a little bit of shoe leather on this. Um, sure. So, so why?
1: I'm going to ask you and put you in the hot seat. Why does why does this matter to us? Like, why do we care? What practical importance does this have for the Christians beyond oh, like the pat answer question. of like? this is what the Bible teaches. Like theology is important. Like, yeah, we get all that. Like, yes, this is what the Bible teaches. <laughs> theology is intrinsically useful, even if it doesn't have a practical application. I get that. But as far as this does have a practical application. So right. what is it that you think the practical application of this is?
0: I appreciate that. You thought that I was going to answer Jesus. And Jesus. like every Sunday school I answer there, yeah. and you're going to have to be like, no, tell me more. So that's a great question, of course. And this is the kind of thing we should all be asking ourselves. And when you're discussing things of technical nature, you should always be asking yourselves, okay, so what? And so the so what here is that, of course, so let's give me the, I'll give you the pat answer from the reformed theological perspective, which is we talk about perseverance of the saints. What we're really talking about is that perseverance begins, and in some ways ends, with the covenant redemption, that God has purposed for himself a people. And so we talk about the surety of faith and the surety of salvation. It begins because it's made by promise with God among himself and not with anybody else. And that's certainly because of any kind of performance. So when Paul is talking about, you know, coming before God and being elevated before him, not because of works done in righteousness, but because of his great mercy, that mercy is manifest. It's the progenitor of that mercy in some ways is this covenant, which begins, and we might say begins before, of course, even anything happens in the garden that God destined for himself, predestined for himself. Uh, people, so there is this upholds. It is the buttress. It is the firm foundation under that theological theolog- theological perspective of perseverance of the saints. But I'll go one beyond that. Where it matters on Monday morning is knowing that God cares for us, that He yeah. loves us in this profound way, that He is superintending His will in this way that's organized and deliberate such that everything is subservient to our salvation because he has intended it to be this way. And it starts from the very beginning. So there is a kindness when somebody plans something for you. There's a kindness when somebody goes out of their way to make sure that all of the details are orchestrated in such a way that it works out for your good. And here's what God is doing from the beginning. So we really should have a spring in our step, not because we find ourselves among the most blessed and most rewarded, so therefore we feel like we're more important than others, but that this love of God, the that God does not turn one away is because he has from the beginning made a promise among himself that cannot be invalidated or violated or gone against. It's irrevocable. So there's a surety in the work of God as it's applied to his children. And this should just give us such wonderful confidence so that when we come before him and we feel that we may be exhausted all of our excuses for why we aren't faithful enough or why we've turned again to sin in a way that we promised we wouldn't, or that we just don't feel like we have the emotional wherewithal for a relationship with him, or that we haven't really behaved as we've ought or put enough effort into something, or maybe even haven't understood something the way that we ought to. Here we find that God is saying... I have saved you. Yeah. And I've done that from the beginning. Before there was even a beginning, I have done that very thing. So I find this to be like just of amazing pastoral comfort. It is the thing, like you said, that is that warm jacket. Yeah. If we would understand that Christ has clothed us in that jacket yeah. on his own volition. And then that volition is completely unified. It's not as if like God the Father said, I don't want to save these people. And Jesus was like, you know what? I, I think I'd like to give it a shot. And he's like, I don't really know. Yeah. It's not my desire, but if you want to do it, we'll see what happens. Here we have like this perfect unity and I think that should change. It should change our feeling. Is that fair? Yeah. It should change our feeling. We should feel, I'm going to say it in a weird way, feel good about this. Yeah. It's because like it comes through the mind into the heart because this is the truth.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I you stole mine. So how dare you? Uh I was also I was going to I was thinking you were going to stop at perseverance and I was going to be like, and I'm going to do assurance, but you took all of it. So I'll take a different angle on this. So I'm going to read a little bit of Psalm 2. Uh, I'm going to read all of Psalm 2 cuz this is our show and I can do whatever I want. Yes, so Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, "As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill." So this this sounds an awful lot like our world, right? To varying degrees, right? The saints in uh, the in Ukraine who are um, fighting in a war to you know for their country and are dying and being captured and are prisoners of wars. The saints in North Korea, in China, in places where there's real actual um, persecution happening. Um, This is a much more real reality to them than it is to, to us sitting in, in our rather comfortable world here. But we face this kind of stuff on a, on a, I think to a lesser degree too, right? So here's where, here's where the covenant of redemption comes into the picture and also where our comfort comes in. So this is um, verse seven, I will tell of the decree. Well, what decree are we talking about? This is the decree of the covenant of redemption. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son to have begotten of you or begotten you ask of me and I will make the nations, your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So, right on on the on the sort of like internal experiential salvation side, everything Jesse said right perseverance of the saints assurance of salvation that pastoral comfort that comes with knowing that our salvation was planned executed and accomplished entirely by God apart from anything that we contributed to it. Amen. Now on the uh, sort of external comfort side. We live in a world that is not friendly to Christians, right? I mean, to greater and lesser degrees, but overall the world is going to hate us because it hated Jesus and because it hates God, right? adventures in Romans one right there, it it rebels against God, therefore rebels against God's people. But God will put that all to right. And then he closes out the Psalm uh, in verse 10. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the the fact that God promised God, I'm going to take the Christological formula, right? The fact that the triune God promised the mediator, and I know that introduces some weirdness, we can talk about that at a different time, but the triune God promised the mediator, not only that he would have a people for his very own, that he would be the head of the elect, that he would be the redeemer and justifier of the elect, but also that he would be the redeemer and the restorer and the Lord and King over all of the world. All of that, all of our comfort that we talk about in under Realized eschatology, all of our comfort that Christ is reigning and will ultimately, consummately reign, all of that comes from the covenant of redemption. Right on. Right? Everything that will be accomplished by, in, and for Christ through all ages, including the last age, including the culmination, including the day of the Lord, all of that is grounded and finds its origin in Genesis in the covenant of redemption. So, so there's comfort for our, our personal salvation. There's I'm doing a lot of like John Piper hand signs here. I don't know why. <laughs> I wish you guys could see this. There's comfort for our personal salvation. There's comfort for uh, us as we look at our loved ones who have died in Christ that we know that he's accomplished their salvation, that that is secure as well. Um, we don't have to worry about whether they're in purgatory or they're ever gonna make it out, right? He's accomplished right. their salvation. And then there's comfort for us as we face trials and tribulations and persecutions that God will in one, in one day set all things right, not just because he's God and he, he can do it. He is God and he can do it and we trust that he will. But on a more fundamental level, we trust that he will do it because he promised his beloved son, right. whom he loves, that he would do it. He promised his son he would give him a people made pure and spotless for his very own. Romans 8, right? He promised the son that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. So our sanctification is sure because it's grounded in the eternal promise of God to the mediator, right? He promised that he would set all of the son's enemies under his feet, that the son would dash them to pieces like a rod of iron does to a potted vessel. All of that is grounded in the covenant of redemption. So I don't actually think there's a more practical theology practical doctrine than there is the covenant of redemption because the grounding of our entire hope, all of our hope, no matter what it is, finds its rest and it's, it's, it's beginning and end in the covenant of redemption. So I can't, I can't, I don't know. Now I want to run through a wall. I could go against a troop, Jesse. (laughs) I could go against a troop because of my God. I just, I just think we have to really like get at this. And when you get your head around this, it really like, I think it really changes how you think about things there's a com- there, there's a confidence in your your daily life right maybe i don't have enough money to pay the bills but at the end of the day that too is something that god is doing for my salvation right heidelberg catechism all things must be subservient to my salvation well why is that because god ordained it in the covenant of redemption so right. I, I just think this is this is the most comforting comfortable doctrine that there is and it's a really a shame because a lot of people just don't understand it that way they think it's this arcane i don't know difficult Complex speculative doctrine, and it really is just grounded in really straightforward, plain biblical texts. Um, so, yeah, I mean that's that's my
0: that's my answer, my Sunday school answer. That's a <laughs> that Sunday great. school answer. That was great, of course. And like all theology, what we're talking about here is is not so much as trying to apply yourself to its teaching, or right. even really trying to grasp at something because you want to gain that greater ascent into some you know deeper theological or intellectual knowledge but it's really asking that god would open our eyes to see him more clearly and to see that reflected in what we're talking about here that that really is what i pray for a lot for myself is just that God would open me up to being able to process and understand and, and so receiving to be changed by that truth, not just to have the information, but really to have transformation. I think this idea of growing from glory to glory is in fact what we're talking about here is it's really, you know, nice to have, I guess, like a two-layer lasagna, but I mean, six layers is amazing. So, I mean, nobody talks about two-layer dip. You always talk about the seven-layer dip. Yeah, because to have all of these things in confluence together, to be able to appreciate them and to see them, and uh, you know, in this, the metaphor of food, to be able to have your your palate taste and appreciate and experience them all together is something that we're after here. So, we just ask that God would continue to open our hearts and our minds to see Him in his beauty as best we can in ways that are more profound for us and i think this is one of those theologies because we see it on the surface we see it as as if in a distance through the fog we know it's there but to really come into greater appreciation to immerse ourselves into what it means that God had established a covenant of redemption and that these aren't like just trite words that we use to describe something that of a technical nature that we can somehow maybe appreciate from behind glass as we look at it and we pass through the museum, but that really this is what is so essential to our lives as Christians that it informs shapes and propels us forward. It is the thing that makes us want to jump over a wall because it is so great. How great is our God? There's nobody like our God. And we see that demonstrated, of course, in the covenant of redemption. Amen
1: to that. Well, if you are interested in joining in the conversation, uh, we did a very brief experiment using Slack, and it just didn't really work. So <laughs> we're going to stick with Telegram. Thank you to all of the uh, members of the Reformed Brotherhood who gave it a shot on Slack. Uh, it was a good idea. Just We just couldn't really get it together. I'll just say I couldn't really get it together. We'll just blame me. But we are going to stick with Telegram. And you know what? It's such a fun, it's fun. medium. It's super um, fun. It's funny we were, you know, we were kind of talking the people who were in Slack when we went back over to Telegram. Like the first thing that happened was like the conversation took off again. It was like two days without any real conversation going on in Slack, and then we went back to Telegram, and it was like immediately people were chatting and, and having conversations again. So I really would encourage people to jump in and check this out. Um, I'm going to try to do some like tutorials about how to use the like the nested reply feature because that's the one thing that's lacking in Telegram is you like everything gets jumbled into the same thing, and there there are ways to break conversations. Out, and I think we just don't don't really know how to do it. So I'm going to try to get some, maybe some like tutorials on how to do that. But you can check it out if you go to t, the letter t.me, t.me slash Reformed Brotherhood. Uh, you can join our um, Telegram channel. Uh, if you don't have the software or the app or you don't have an account, it should bring you to instructions for how to how to join that. If you do, then it should bring you straight into the group. Uh, make a comment, tell everybody you're there. Usually you'll be greeted uh, when it says you've joined the channel. Usually you'll be greeted by some sort of fun gift or meme or, or something. Thing, um, but yeah, check it out. It's a lot of fun. We got almost, I think we've got close to hundred people in there now. It's it's just really a lot of fun.
0: It's it's getting more every day. There's eighty four, and there's been conversation going on even while we've been recording. So maybe we'll do this from time to time. I'm going to call out a couple of uh, people that are in there talking right now. So I see you, brother Joe, and Joshua, yeah. and Mason and Sterling all having conversation. It's lovely. So yeah. there'll be, and it's not just about theological things though. Of course that is often where we go, but it's true. I see that people have started their own hashtag affirmations and denials, which is great. So join in. You got something you want to affirm with or deny against. Hey, here's a little space for you to do that in the context yeah. of some yeah, good it- conversation.
1: And it's not just brothers too. We've got some some uh, great sisters in there as well. Yes. So yes. we're we're just looking to grow that. It's it's been a lot of fun. It's been. I know that the Distilling Theology Group says that they're the the most sage group on the uh, on the Facebook. Oh, uh, and' Man, they. I've been off social media for like a month and a half. And the I'm already Facebook. Saying the Facebook. Yeah. Um, they say they're the most sage group on Facebook, and that's probably true. But I think we are the most sage Reformed group on Telegram. Definitive. Uh, and we're just we're super excited. So check it out. Uh, you know, and we got lots of stuff. Going going on we're excited we've got some uh, interesting stuff planned for the next couple weeks I think I heard a rumor that we may have a guest coming up soon which is not typical for our show but it's always a lot of fun when we have another voice on the show Um, we've got some cool uh, promotions that we're going to be working on uh, and some other cool stuff and we also have the merch store so if you want to pick up a t-shirt or a mug or something like that you can check that out if you go to the reform brotherhood.com website there's a link to the store Uh, if you want to request like a fanny pack with our logo on it or uh, I think I saw like a shower curtain if you want a shower curtain oh, with our logo yes. on it yes even uh, you could do that uh, you can buy baby onesies now, uh, which, uh, shameless acknowledgement, I did that just so I could have one for my son, but if you want one for your son <laughs> or your great daughter, you can pick that up too. Uh, but other than that, I mean, we, we just, we love making the show. We love, we love bringing this good theological content to you. Uh, we would ask if you are listening to us on iTunes that you would consider going and leaving us a review. Uh, it doesn't help people find the show in a strict sense, but it does help people decide whether they want to listen to the show once they've found it. Right. Uh, and that would, it also makes us just feel warm and fuzzy. So if you want to make us feel warm and fuzzy,
0: then go leave us a review on iTunes. So listen, I look forward to chatting with everybody this week in the telegram, but until then let's honor everyone. Love the brotherhood.